I just I want to like get confetti and just shoot confetti every time I hear that song. You know, just hey, we're back. Oh boy. Hey, what? What? Nope. What do you mean? Oh boy! You gotta wait until we get the video oh, stuff. Oh, video to come! You just released a secret like that. Publicly. I did. It is. It's like our listeners stay tuned because we will have video podcasts up and running in the near future. But that's not what we're here to no. talk about. No, no, today, no, no, no. So. You just ruined it. Okay, I, know. I did. Anyways, we're the Aviation Renaissance. We have a guest on today who just admitted to me that he has not listened to the podcast. <clears throat> Let me see if I can find the right one. Uh, I turned the sound down. Uh, uh. That took so long to get to that sound effect. It, it lost any power. I think there's some egg on my face, too. Oh, he's yeah, talking. There might be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have our good friend, Dan Basco. Is that how you say your Bosco. Name? Bosco. Yep. I ruined it already. We're not from Canada. It's no, Bosco. It's Bosco. Yeah. No I, way. I, I talk to guys from Canada all the time. My good friend, yeah. Roy. So. Yeah, you should know. All right, Dan. You are an employee at EPS. Tell us about your title, who you are, and I don't know, your favorite color. Yeah. Favorite color? Blue, sure. He's that wearing a blue good. shirt. Yes, too. blue. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I should have worn my EPS swag, but there's no video, so I thought Ooh, you I thought for sure you were gonna say like mauve. That's mauve. My, that's yeah, my favorite I, color. I don't even know what that Marsala is. Marsala <laughs> is my favorite color. No, it's it's similar to the color of our walls in here. Yeah, looks good. Yeah. Still can't see uh, it though. I mean <laughs> so my title. So I am a senior electrical engineer with uh, EP systems. Um, and a lot of my background uh, comes from the infrastructure side of things. Um, so pre-EPS, pre-Utah, I was a electrician in Colorado. Uh, worked for electrical contractor, went through the um, you know, four-year sh- uh, apprenticeship program there. Mm-hmm. Got my journeyman's, worked as a journeyman uh, manager on job sites. And uh, decided that wasn't... Um, challenging enough for me <laughs> um not that i'm saying i'm you Never know heard I'm, that. A, I'm above that it's just you know i i got to a point where you know it, it was challenging i learned a great deal of things um a lot of what i learned back then uh i'm still utilized today i can um, imagine being an electrician right like so you went through an electrician's program oh yeah yeah so the four-year so, apprenticeship program through right. their school a um, lot of hands-on that uh training and work Helps uh, a lot. associated with it. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and then I got to, you know, utilize those skills in the field. Um, uh, and so that's what made that, that's what's made me a, the worker I am today, the work ethic, so on and so forth. Um, but a lot of the fundamentals that I was able to, to learn and, uh, uh, utilize then is I, I still use that to this day in so my you, day-to-day operations. You finished your journeyman's, you finished your apprenticeship, mm-hmm. came out as a journeyman, yep. worked in that for a long time, decided you wanted to go back to school for your electrical engineering degree? I did, yeah. So I came to Utah State and, oh, uh, and okay. got my uh, double E. Um, cool. And, um, you know, for the first, like, I don't know, it was a semester, two, maybe it was just one semester, I still did the electrical contractor gig kind of on the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I found a... Uh, a lab at USU um, called Select, um, where I was able to kind of take um, my skills that I had before and apply them in a different way. Sure. Um, and a lot of that was towards renewables, so energy storage, um, uh, solar systems, um, and those type of things. And power electronics was a, 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 a new topic for me that I was able to learn and gather information on. Um, and so when I came to USU, started working at, in that capacity uh, within the lab. Um, 
uh, natural fit for me was in in microgrids. You know, the term microgrid, I guess, um, <laughs> it's a broad term that's used mm-hmm. nowadays. Um, so if you look at any any commercial building out there that has a diesel generator, you could consider that as a microgrid, right? You disconnect yourself from the grid and you're able to run mm-hmm. off that diesel generator, right? So in a way, I was mm-hmm. I was doing those type of installs, um, but I just wasn't aware of like that term, right? So, but in this capacity with the lab, we're focused on we were focused on. Uh, energy storage as renewable, solar uh, as renewable, and then natural gas generation. And so um, I was able to to lead a project as an undergraduate um, in developing, designing, developing, installing a microgrid at this facility um, at USU, um, which is very unique for the you know, an undergraduate in general. Yeah, I'm glad that that you brought that up because we've had Ryan Bohm and uh, David Koch in talking about infrastructure and everything. And uh, David talked mostly about what it's going to take for airport-wise, that kind of stuff. And and Ryan talked about what he does up there at Hyde Park. But the term microgrid has been thrown around a lot, um, but we haven't really got into the technical discussions of what those microgrids are. And I think that you are the perfect man to answer these questions for us. Yeah, you've got... Um there's a number of different ways you can define a microgrid. Um, if you look at your house, for example, you would I would even say that if you've got solar and um, energy storage, you've got yourself a little nano grid or pico grid at that point, right? It's a very small um, amount of energy that you're utilizing there. Um, and so whether it's just a solar system, the way that I typically think of microgrids, at least from my background and uh, my experience is, Solar and energy storage. That's going to be your most typical microgrid system that that you're going to see. Um, and the reason is is because you can gen, you can power yourself from your own resources external to the grid, right? right? Um, and then you can take it one step further and say, okay, well, well, uh, that microgrid can include me literally disconnecting myself from the grid completely and powering myself 100% from uh, the resources I have on site. Um, and then, you know, you can also include a, a natural gas generator, diesel generator in those conversations as well. Um, and then all of those things coupled into one, one system. It's just how you manage those different resources. Um, so some sort of microgrid controller, right, um, right. Uh, is really how you manage where that power flows um, and based off the different loads and stuff you have. So prior to EPS, um, did you have any experience in the aviation industry? Is this kind of your first soiree into it? No aviation experience at all. I actually don't like flying that much. Oh. <laughs> that's the wrong answer. No, that's okay. We'll let you focus answer. on how to recharge all of the planes that do fly. Yeah, yeah. you so, don't need to go anywhere. How, how did you, so you worked at Select. I did. Which, uh, so did you work with Dave Christensen? Yep, yep. I worked with Dave Christensen. Uh, so... Um, Keep going on my background a little bit. Uh, so uh, Ryan Bohm was at Select as well. So ah, Ryan was the was senior electrical engineer and uh, lab manager of uh, of Select. Slash mad scientist. Mm-hmm. Slash mad scientist. Yes, to some crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, that's where that's where Ryan and I first met. Um, and so I think that was uh, seven years plus ago, something like that. Um, and, uh, and so we got close, you know, we worked on projects together, um, various different projects. And, and so when he first left, I filled in his role when he first left select and went to another company. Um, 
And then, ironically, I followed him to that same company as well, uh, another local company here in, <laughs> here in Cache Valley. Um, we're almost tied. We're basically tied at the hip um, because when I left that other company, um, you know, I did another short stint at what's now Aspire. Ah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Um, so they, they, got, they received that uh, uh, NSF, National Science Foundation grant, um, formed mm-hmm. that engineering research center now. Um, and so went back to them, helped them with... Uh, uh, it's a lot of high power charging uh, projects. One was a megawatt charger, another Ooh. 350 kilowatt charger. Um, this was all wireless power transfer, though. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. So Is that the, uh, the oh, how did Ryan say it? The uh, charge on the fly drive roadway kind of thing? Yeah. So whether you're static or dynamic, so either you're sitting there, right, you know, idling essentially, or you're driving down the highway or some other street, um, you can you can get catch a charge um charge your vehicle um in those capacities so that's uh that's an interesting concept that some of our customers are in yeah. flight charging in flight uh, charging yeah, yeah that's what they're looking at so anyways that's just a big topic of discussion right now sure so then you uh so then follow Ryan over to EPS <laughs> exactly yes, I did <laughs> I did actually he had no, he had nothing to do with me coming over here he removed himself from the equation um uh, let me join on my own merit per se. Um, and so anyways, yeah, I'd end up falling over here and, uh, love it. So what are you currently working on right now? Uh, yeah. So I'll, basically everything that, um, you know, within the bone squad, so Ryan's IPT, uh, the sill mobile mic, um, and then with Dave, uh, Dave Coke on the, uh, uh, infrastructure, uh, side of things. So DC fast chargers and, and so on and so forth. Okay. Can you elaborate on some of those a little bit more? Oh yeah, for sure. So with the uh, um, with the with response. the sill, um, sill I think is one of the the most un- unique projects that I've ever had a chance to work on. Let's um, let's uh, define that real quick though, because I know a lot of people, even within our company, down on the operations floor, when I say well, I've got to run up to the sill real quick, they're like, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. It's the systems integration lab. That doesn't clarify it that much. But yeah. what does the systems integration yeah. lab do? Well, the system. Uh, so if you look at it from an aviation perspective, right? You you can you can take um, all the systems from an aircraft and test them on SIL, um, which is a, a vehicle that has a you know a flatbed with a prop um, on it, right? So you can have anywhere <laughs> from the um, from the motor with the prop all the way to the energy storage system um, to the to the user interface, all the instrumentation that you ha- that you have on an aircraft is right there. The only difference is it doesn't fly, right? Um, so there's a lot of benefit, not only to external customers, but also internal to EPS. Um, for external customers, you can validate um, as close to a, not not really a flight-worthy type of system, but as close as you can get um, to, uh, to having a flight-worthy system fully tested before you even you know, take off. Right. And there's a lot of value there is one, you know, noise, right. Is how much noise does my motor generate? Um, what effect does that have on, um, the battery system or the communication system or any sensor, you know, sensors that I have within my aircraft. Um, and then also to the, to the energy storage system, right. Um, you know, you can test various different combinations based off of what the loading requirements is or based off what motor you have connected. Um, and then functionality, right? As the, the pilot, you can get in there and 
um, you know, you can have a dashboard of, you know, simple switches, or you can have this elaborate scheme of, you know, I've got all these different types of uh, um, controls that I need to uh, to validate or uh, understand before I actually get into an airplane and uh, and start testing in, in, in that application. You also have the ability to to test the pitch on the props as well without Absolutely. being up in the air. Yep. You know, you can validate what's going to be the best performance pitch for whatever system it is that you're running yep. without exactly. putting it in the air and, and risking. Yeah, and you, you can know. you can you can run load profiles. You know, you can get a customer that says, "Hey, I've got." Uh, these load profiles I want to run on this um, on this specific motor, given these specific pitches, and we can dial that in and run a profile for you. Um, who who came up with the? Is is it pretty typical to stick this on a pickup truck? Like, I mean, I first saw this truck with this huge motor on the back, and yeah. I thought that that can't be normal. Who's, <laughs> whose idea was that? I I don't know whose idea it was. Uh, that that was decision made before I got here. It's a I don't think it's a bad decision. No, um, I love and it. the reason yeah, and the reason being is. Um, you know, energy storage takes space. And, mm -hmm. and if you look at what we're doing, um, you want to future proof in some, some way, shape or form. Um, you know, it ain't going to work for, uh, you know, a commercial plane, right? right. For something that's looking for hundreds of kilowatt hours, it's not going to work for that. Um, but, you know, for these fixed wing um, trainer aircrafts, EVTOLs, these type of those types of systems, you know, we can, we can characterize those types of systems on here. Well, it's nice sale. too, because it is, it's on a, a flatbed F550. Yep. Right. And we living where we live, I think we're at like 5,400 feet right here in the Valley, but you can take it all the way up into the mountains and run it at 9,000 feet where your air is thinner and you're going to have different characteristics of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And temperature is a, a huge one too. And because it's all self-contained, you can gather all of that data within the sill itself. Exactly. Yeah. So we've got, um, you know, pretty sophisticated sensor hardware, um, and data collection so that you can get, um, more information from the system than if it was on the airplane, right? From the airplane, you're going to get a, a minimal amount of information because weight's a huge issue, right? You're not going right. to slap all these sensors all over the place in order to ca capture, characterize, um, certain things. And that's what the sill's for, right? Is you want to, you want to capture different, um, temperature, you know, temperature environments, uh, whether you're at altitude or not, you know, uh, lots of different things that uh, we can help characterize and then capture that data so that it can be analyzed, whether it's internally or externally to a customer. I know that, uh, I, well, I don't know if our competitors have this same kind of capability, but we do have it in-house and that's kind of a an asset to our customers that they can come and say, I want you to run this kind of profile in your lab so we can get data off of it. I don't know if our uh, other energy storage companies are doing that, but we definitely are. Yeah, I'm not aware. Um, you know, I imagine you've got um, companies that, you know, uh, whoever makes the electric motors, right? They, they right. have to test them in some in some fashion, but to this level, uh, I'll call it of sophistication because it, it is a very sophisticated system. Um, I'm, I don't know if they've taken those types of steps. Well, that's about good for the sill. I was going to say, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, interesting to think that customers can bring all different types of motors. And I was actually at a customer recently, and when we told them that at this elevation, you know, we get up to 100 plus degrees Fahrenheit in the summer and, mm -hmm. you know, well below freezing temperatures, mm -hmm. this customer is in a more temperate climate. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. So that is pretty cool about Logan, Utah, as we kind of hit 
big spectrum of temperature there. But Dan, I want to know more about infrastructure because you say that word. Yeah. I deal with infrastructure. That's like yeah. saying I go it's to work. Vague. It's very, <laughs> very vague. So well, mo- mobile mic is uh, is a part of that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just so-, so our listeners know, mobile mic stands for mobile. Microgrid. Yes, it does. <laughs> Bring it all back together. <laughs> yes, reel it back in. The uh, <laughs> and so when I uh, I'll pay homage to my to my previous experience. When I think of infrastructure, I think of a utility connection, right? I think of something connected to the grid, and you've got supporting equipment um, downstream of that um, to provide power to whatever type of loads you have, right? Um, but that's not necessarily true. Mobile microgrid is part of the infrastructure discussion, right? And the way that we're defining um, infrastructure is um, charging infrastructure, supporting aircraft, uh, supporting charging infrastructure. Um, and so mobile mic is a part of that. So it is mobile microgrid. You've got some energy storage on board and it is a portable DC fast charger. Sure. Um, and so uh, for, you know, these fixed trainer um uh, aircrafts and EVTOLs, um, you know, the idea is that you can drive out onto the tarmac, you know, wherever these things are parked um, and charge it through a, um, a, your standard uh, CCS um, uh, charging interface um, that, you know, EVs use today. So what what is our ultimate goal on the microgrid as far as watt hours on, on mobile mic? What, what are we looking for capacity-wise on our mobile mic? Um, uh, I don't know of a fixed number right now. I believe we could fit anywhere up to, you know, um, probably 200 to possibly 300 kilowatt hours inside of mobile mic. Um, which again, you're, you're, that's sufficient for, uh, you know, a fixed, uh, a fixed wing trainer aircraft. Okay. I mean, we've talked about mobile mic before with, with Ryan Bohm and, and, um, David Koch. It was, more in depth, but uh, we only touch briefly on the microgrids that are going to need to be put in airports to mm-hmm. be able to support this fast charging. And they're not going to be mobile; they're going to be stationary microgrids. Yep. Let's talk about those. Yeah, for sure. So there's, um, if you look at what the typical EV charging infrastructure has looked like in the past, it's all right. I want a um, a 250 kilowatt charger. Or typically like a 50 kilowatt DC fast charger. Well, I need the grid infrastructure to provide that, right? I've got nothing to supplement that. Um, and that's a very common, even today um, versus five years ago, it's a very common theme. Um, you'll see in the EV charging world, um, what they've done is um, there's a certain manufacturers who have said, well, let's reduce that grid connection mm-hmm. and utilize energy storage instead. Mm. Um, and so what I, uh, so this is going to be a common theme, um, within airports as well. And reason being is if you look at your, your commercial, your small commercial airports, um, they're going to have electrical services that are similar to your house, right? You're going to have a 120, 240 volt panel, um, which may be anywhere between, I don't know, 80 to maybe 125 amp service servicing that hangar. Uh, and that's not sufficient for charging aircraft. That does. That, I mean, I have 150 amps out in my shop panel out there. <laughs> that doesn't seem like at an airport for some reason. I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of not computing in my brain. Well, but. think about it. I guess you know if you look at um, even the the hangar we have, uh, you got a compressor in there. Sure. Um, 
and that's really about it. You maybe have, uh, if you're looking, you know, certain other uh, hangers might have drill presses or certain stuff like that, certain power, you know, equipment, but none of them require like three phase power. Sure. Right. And that's where you look at DC fast chargers. Cause what you have in your, in your, um, uh, your categories of EV, uh, DC fast or uh, charging infrastructure equipment mm -hmm. is you got different levels, right? Level two, level three, um, uh, and within that level three is where you get to the DC fast chargers, right? And so your typical like level two chargers, those are like, you know, your 240 volt, mm. um, dryer plugs or oven plugs that you plug in at your house, right? And when you get to the level three DC fast chargers, that's three phase connections, whether it's 208, three phase, 483 phase, it's most, most common going to be 483 phase. And in order to support, you know, the, the power levels that we're talking about to charge these aircrafts, uh, that's not sufficient with single phase. Um, you got to have uh, three-phase power in order to do that. So go ahead. Our, our microgrids that we're wanting to put out there, um, I know one of the, the big selling points that we have with our Epic lines is that once those modules are not deemed worthy for flight anymore, they still have cycle life on them, second-use life on it, and those will be coming out and going into those microgrids for storage of, of yes. energy. So the question begs then, how does that become self-sufficient in the future? Because you're going to have to hook to something to charge those right now, be it the grid, the power grid that's out there right now. Yep. And I know that we've talked about, you know, charging up those mobile microgrids in, in off-peak hours so it's not putting a strain on the grid. Um, but is there looking into the future to be able to charge those up without being hooked into the grid, such as solar? Yeah, yeah. You tying in uh, renewables is uh, is an obvious answer there. You know, getting getting some form of uh, uh, solar generation in order to charge those, just to reduce the amount of energy um, that you that is required from the grid. Um, and so, but but what I think we need to realize is that no matter what, there has to be some some grid upgrade um, to the system. Um, unless you know you're talking about having megawatt hours worth of energy storage um, and a very large solar system mm -hmm. at this at, at an airport, um, we we really can't get away from having some form of infrastructure upgrade um, because the power levels we're talking about here to charge these aircrafts are are quite significant. You know, you're talking what the maximum amount of power uh, that you can get from a EV charger right now plus some. You know, sure. And so uh, the the idea here is, well, we can reduce, you know, given this energy storage and, you know, these second life batteries um, and just really ignoring the solar generation for now is utilizing second life batteries on top of a reduced grid connection. Right. This where the the um, second life batteries come in is, you know, we can we can provide extra energy to you. Um, you know, it still requires us to charge from the grid, sure. Uh, but it requires a smaller grid connection than what you would have to without it. Um, and so then, then you also get in savings of okay, I don't have those really big, you know, let's say you've got two two fifty kilowatt DC fast chargers, right? You would have a five hundred kilowatt uh, plus um, peak demand from the grid at that point. And with energy storage, we can help reduce that, um, which is it equates to you know large savings. So my question here, uh, which I, I'm interested in as we get just go through some time, 
What is that process going to look like to upgrade infrastructure at an airport? I mean, you were a, a journeyman, mm-hmm. right? Well, I think that's the big question is you say we need to change. How long of a project is that? Like, do airports need to start implementing bigger infrastructure now? Just how long it's going to take? What's your estimation on that? Um, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, I can't predict what they, you know, uh, what they're going to do in the near future. Um, I would think in the in the distant future that you would probably have larger um, uh, um, services, electrical services, uh, to accommodate uh, uh, electric aircrafts. Uh, but that might be, who knows, maybe ten years down the road. Um, but in the short term. You know, you have you ha- you have transformers out there, right? At, at these airports, you've got a medium voltage connection um, to a transformer, which then steps it down to two forty volts, right? Same thing that we have at our house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we're talking about is, yeah, we basically have to remove that transformer or add another transformer, which is going to be smaller. That provides that four eighty three phase output, um, and so from start to finish, it's like okay. Th- from us within EP systems, we have the the expertise to help customers through that process, mm-hmm. right? We can say, okay, hey, let's go identify, okay, where are you located? Who's the utility company? Um, let's figure out what those, um, uh, what the connection requirements are from, because you know, utilities all around the U.S., they're going to be quite, you know, they're going to be similar in some ways and different in other ways, mm-hmm. right? Based off of their requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we can a- approach the utility and say, hey, this is our system, Here's some, uh, you know, just some rough drawings of what we're talking about doing. Um, what are those infrastructure costs going to be from the utilities perspective, right? Transformer upgrade costs. Um, and then downstream from that, here's what our equipment looks like. Um, and then you know, get with electrical contractors to say, hey, you know, here's here's a system. Um, you know, what does it cost? You know, put out those types of things for bids. Um, and then obviously we have the energy storage um, that we could provide to help offset some of those costs. What is what has been the reception of airports with with this so far? How how are they receiving it? If we've even started talking to them about it, the only so I personally have not uh, spoken with airports. That is um, on our um, short term uh, uh, goals that we have is to is to approach uh, different airports um, to gauge interest. You know, we've talked with flight schools. Um, about um, you know what their operations look like, and so we could understand what different customer requirements would be. Right, not all flight schools were one and the same. Um, and uh, from the airport perspective, it really depends on does a um, who's the customer? Is the airport the customer, or mm-hmm. is it a um, someone renting a hangar? Or do mm-hmm. they own the hangar? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so if it's the airport, it'd probably be a different discussion versus if it was a, a private owner of a hangar. Um, because who owns who owns the the transformer at that point, right? Yeah, or, sure. Or who's the responsible person for that transformer, right? Because the utility is going to own the transformer, but who who do they who do they communicate with? Who's going to who's going to have to pay for that pay for those uh, upgrade costs? Sure. And if it's the airport that owns the hangar, then it would be the airport. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a private customer, it most likely have to be the private customer. So um, so in all actuality, it could be two routes. We could approach the private customers, say a flight school that's yep. at an airport and they're interested in buying, you know, EDA forties or turning their fleet electric, then it's on them to do the upgrades necessary to their hangar to support that operation. Yep. But if an airport has the forethought to think, you know, this is the way it's going, it's going to happen, then they can go in and say, 
you know what, we're going to foot the bill on this and we're just going to change everything and upgrade to allow for electric aircraft. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. So we're just about out of time. And I want you to take these last few minutes to just kind of sum up where we're currently at with our infrastructure and our microgrids. Yeah, so we're at the point where um, we are looking at this um, holistically um, and um, who the customers are, who, who, um, who's going to benefit the, the most from these, uh, the, these infrastructure discussions and how we can assist them in this process. And so in the, in the short term, um, you know, we're, we're, we're beginning to identify um, who those customers are and really get to the point where um, we can start the development of these different pieces um, of this infrastructure discussion. You know, we've got the, mo- you know, we've got the battery modules, right? They're, right. they're obviously not in flight yet. So they're not in that second life mode yet. Um, so, so there might be some um, interim steps that we need to take uh, before we get to that point. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're at the point where we're ready to, uh, you know, we're, we're ready to take off um, is really where we're, where we're at. <laughs> and 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 yes. <laughs> I love it. Effect. I love it. <laughs> exactly. So we, we are ready to take off in this infrastructure uh, um, discussion and, and the actions to take. Um, we've been at it for, for a while. And then, you know, Dave Koch's been at it for a long time, um, talking with a lot of different, um, you know, manufacturers, distributors, um, EV, you know, EV charging companies. Um, because if you look at, applications you know aviation and ev are not one and the same you know they're 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 very similar oceans per se right. but they're but but you can't treat them one and the same and so that's where you've got to um kind of look at it from a different perspective um than with evs because there's a different convenience factor when it comes to you know these flight schools and everything versus you know a family driving to saint george um you know, so there, there, there's a lot of different discussions that we need to have, and, and we're having those conversations with customers, um, with flight, with flight schools to understand operations and things like that. Very good. Awesome. Well, um, we asked Dan before this started, or no, it was at the beginning of the podcast. He, uh, he said he didn't know where to find us and listen to us. So Ooh. I'm going to tell you right now, and That's I'm going to tell all of our listeners as well. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, Amazon Music, we're on all of those platforms. So anybody out there, if you're listening, you already know where to find it. Dan, that's where you can find it. (laughs) Um, Or you can go to our website, epsenergy.com. You can see what we're doing, the progress we're making there. Also, if you're interested in working at EPS, there is a careers page, job listings there. So you can also find us on LinkedIn, all of those places. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Dan, thanks for coming in and telling us about microgrids and everybody else. It's been good. Tune in next week for more infrastructure conversations.